time to provide some entertainment for the Super Blog team up. Paying tribute to the 30 year anniversary of Image Comics. So, I had to make a quick decision. There's so much, so much that you could cover with Image as an entity, the creators coming together to break off back in 1992 and forge their own path. I decided to do something that was a is pretty quick, at least quick for me. It's going to be a quick read, but I wanted to do something that was near and dear to my heart as well. One of the first issues that I can remember purchasing that was an Image comic, I picked up Dale Keown's Pit Number 1 off the shelf. It looks like it was released January 15, 1993. Image Comics has had about eight months at that point to kind of get going. Was I aware of Image at the time? There's a very good possibility I was reading something in Wizard Comics at that point. I was collecting comics, but I remember reading Wizard. Wizard Magazine, The Guide to Comics, number six, had a Sam Keith Hulk on the front, and it looks to have hit shelves February of 92, at least that's the cover date. And I think I have, like, I can't remember which issue it is, but it talks about <laughs> the formation of Image Comics in the issue. So, anyway... Needless to say, I don't know how I became aware of Image Comics. Most likely it was probably through Wizard. Now, I was collecting prior to that for a little bit. You know, apparently I'm buying comics as, as early as the age. I'm going to just say five or six. It wasn't like I was continually buying comics at that point in time. Didn't have the money. You know, I couldn't talk my parents or my mom into getting me comics at that point. But as I got older, I did get an allowance uh, and I did make decisions with what to spend that money on. And comics were at least among the top five things that I would probably want to buy. But Image Comics changed things for me. I knew Dale Keown's art from the Hulk, and that cover of Pitt. It's just a close-up of Pitt's face and ripping first issue. And I was like, oh my goodness. I, I mean, this cover sold me. I wanted to pick this up, and I wanted to read it. This was January of 1993. I was hooked. I started to want to read more of this universe. I started seeing the ads for some of the other image comics that were coming out. They were building this, they were building this universe with some of the hottest creators around at the time. But image comics really ignited a fire. There were some image comics that I was very faithful that I collected throughout the years. Uh, Wildcats was one of them. Stormwatch was the other. Supreme was there as well. And Savage Dragon. So those four were my main titles that I was trying to make sure that I got every issue that I could for a good solid, uh, I mean, all the way through 98, pretty much. When I got married to my wife, <laughs> I couldn't justify buying comics anymore. Plus, the excitement just wasn't there. So this was the late 90s. Money and motivation to get comics just kind of fell to the wayside. The whole reason for the Superblog team-up right now is the fact that we are celebrating 30 years of Image Comics. The creation, the hype of this company, the universe that they put together. You know, one of the things that I loved about it, I'm, I'm coming into my teenage years at this time. I'm 14 years old in 1992, getting ready to turn 15 in 93. The more mature nature of Image Comics, that struck right at the right time for me. Let's get back on topic here. Fast forward to 1993, all right? A young Jesse Starcher is not able to drive yet. One of my favorite things to do was to 
walk around the small town of Marietta. We didn't really have like a dedicated comic book store. We had a small place called People's News, which carried a lot of comics. There certainly weren't back issues. This was just a newsstand inside a, you know, a small building. That's normally where I would get, I would get my comics because it was right downtown. I could go right downtown to Marietta and get it. Then we had Alonzo's, which cropped up, uh, which carried a lot of sports cards, collectible cards in some way, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, and comics. There was a small store that was, I mean, just open for a cup of coffee. Real small store on like one of the main streets in Marietta. Now, Darker Image, the book that I've come here to talk about today, hits the shelves March 23rd of 1993. Now, I remember the hype around this book for some reason. I should say the hype around comics at this point in March of 93. The death of Superman had happened. That took speculating to a whole other level. You know, I started seeing these trends in comic books, but it was rare for me to have the money to turn around and purchase a few comics or something like that, you know? Just on the speculative part of trying to turn these things around for money. I definitely have more means of doing that now, 30 years later, than I did back then. You couldn't just grab an issue and then turn around and sell it on eBay. That wasn't a thing. The internet was in its very, very, very early years. But I decided to jump on that speculation bandwagon. And when Darker Image comes out, you start to hear that there's the first appearance of some of the more popular or what are soon to be supposedly some of the biggest characters in the Image universe. And that is Bloodwolf, <laughs> Deathblow, and The Max. Now, these comics came polybagged with three cards. This wasn't something that was never done before. Marvel had done it with X-Force number one. Darker Image followed suit, and this had a trading card for each one of these characters that are in this book. So it is the only books that I ever bought because of speculation. I had to get all three of those cards. One copy to read, and three additional copies for the cards. Because, by golly, one of those cards was going to be worth 100 bucks, And it was going to still be polybagged. I wasn't going to open it. And yes, I still have all four copies of Darker Image sitting in a long box somewhere. So let's get into, I mean, let's get into the issue here. This is Darker Image number one. First appearance of three major characters in the Image Comics universe. The Max, Bloodwolf, and Deathblow. The Max is a character that was created by Sam Keith. The Max number one was on shelves March 9th of 1993. Now this is credited as the Max's first appearance in a really old issue of Wizard that I was looking at, but... I don't know if that's actually the case, because if the Max number one showed up on shelves March 9th of 93, then this comic, which came out March 23rd of 93, chronologically, would not be the first appearance of the Max. So I'd known a little bit about Sam Keith. I'd seen his work on Marvel Comics Presents, but just remember it being like this crazy, whacked-out style. The Wolverine, the Hulk... I always thought he was a dynamic artist. You talk to Mark Radlich, this number one, he can't get Sam Keith's name right. But <laughs> uh, he also hates his artistic style. Not the case for me. Loved Sam Keith. Loved the way everything that he drew looked. I, I, it, it looked dirty, grungy, nasty. But it was something that I was drawn to. Not only that, the Max is like one of the few characters that I can draw decently. 
I remember just looking at his art style and realizing that the, that a character outline, there's not really much rounding to anything. It's all straight lines. Perfectly fine with me. I have a memory of sitting there at my grandma's table. Well, she had reams of paper. Where she got this paper, I have no idea. But it was just like these weird like order forms. I would take those pieces of paper and I would go sit down and draw. The Max, like I said, was one of those comic characters that I could draw easier, <laughs> the easiest. And I have a couple pieces of original art from back in the early 90s. Whenever I strike it big as a big artist, which that is not my craft, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me, I'm not a good artist. But, you know, those drawings are, are something near and dear to me. Looks like the story and art by Sam Keith, Bill Messner Loeb's on dialogue, Steve Olaf, which we've talked about on either this podcast or the Unspoken Issues podcast, one of the premier at the forefront colorists. And I will tell you that the colors on this in this comic really pop. I have grown to appreciate in a very short amount of time the skill Steve Olaf has. Uh, Jim Sinclair on finishes and Mike Heisler on the letters. Let's go ahead and just experience this first story. And I'll kind of read through and just kind of throw some things out there as I go through it. So darker image number one. And as we go through the first story, my goodness, just look at this cover. The cover of darker image. You know, we have this gray or this marbled kind of background black hole in the middle of it and our characters are kind of exploding from it we got death blow on the left blood wolf on the right down here in the middle is the max so i assume this is a sam keith cover because you could just tell by the ripplings coming off of uh blood wolf's torn shirt uh, the way those threads are drawn that's very much a sam keith Sam Keith style, a Sam Keith uh, marker, I guess you'd say. If you see that kind of stuff going on, you might know that you're looking at a Sam Keith piece. Deathblow's got the same thing going on, uh, sort of. You know, his bandana as it trails off, and he's got the rippled veins. That was one thing I loved drawing about the Max was, like, obviously they're very muscular characters, and Max is a very muscular character. So at first I was thinking this was a jam piece uh, cover, but it's not. That's definitely a Sam Keith piece. So I like it. like it a lot. Love the shading on Deathblow. You know, his face completely covered in shadow except for his eyes. Oh, sick, sick stuff. I, I don't know if he's got nunchucks going on there. And of course, oh goodness, Sam Keith could draw a lady. Granted, it was it's a, you know, this weird looking style that he's got when he draws humans. They're not. They're absolutely not photorealistic in any way. They are kind of frumpy. They're definitely not perfect, but there are definitely some curves. I mean, my goodness, you got a little butt crack going on there. That dress is low cut. The dress is just a little too big for her, actually. <laughs> All right, let's get into this story. So like I said, hit the shelves in 1993, March of 1993. We're opening up with the Max and oh, just classic Max pose for me. Anybody who does not know who the Max is, oh, wow. I mean, I can't even describe it to you. Because it's so weird. It's just a strange character to try to describe to somebody. Yeah, hey, there's this guy. He dresses all in purple. Um, he has these yellow gloves that kind of look like they are painted onto his hands. And he has one, well, I should say one claw coming out of the top of each one of his hands. And that claw I've seen be really long. I've seen that claw be really short. 
Uh, it looks like our rendition here in this issue, most of what we get are kind of like the short version of this claw. But if you look at the Max, the one thing you're going to see um, initially is his face. And what you're going to assume is a mask. But really, there isn't a way to actually land on if that is a mask or his face. Purple mask, big yellow, kind of like uh, parting thick line that goes down from the top of his head through the center, through the center of his face. But the most distinguishing feature of the Max is the teeth, okay? Max's teeth, it's not like a mouth. They are, they look like normal teeth that are just jutting from the top of his mouth and you can't see a, the bottom of his mouth. It just looks like tusks almost, but it's not tusks. It's a row of teeth coming out of the top of his mouth and that's it. So right at the jump, the appearance of this character is very, very strange. Getting into this, I'm like, wow, this guy looks really cool. What's he about? What is going on? All right, so we open up with the Max, hunched over, hanging out on a tree, uh, tree limb here. And I remember the chung, 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 chung. He, he has this headache, and that's the pounding in his head. But he says that it's good. And, and then you start to see that he's, he's actually out here on a wilderness plains type of deal. He likes the, the pounding of his head because it helps him focus. Here's something interesting. Okay, most of what we get here is all inner monologue. Okay, he's not speaking out loud. At one point, he says, Someone coming, someone dangerous. I can smell the sweating leather and peppermint. So remember that. Uh, and here it is, this huge, I don't know what in the world this thing is, large beast uh, walking down the plains here. And the Max has decided to hide from this thing. So you know Jeff Smith's bone? I don't know enough about Bone to t say what he is, but <laughs> say the small, the small white main character of Bone. Uh, so imagine that becoming a grotesque giant. And that's what the Max is hiding from here. The writing is really neat. Bill Messner Loeb's doing a great job here uh, because it's very descriptive, very descriptive writing. Some of the ways that he's using to describe what's happening. I can hear the empty wind punishing the grass somewhere a bird is screaming sets an atmosphere in my opinion uh, so here we go we got this large so i'm gonna say take the main character of bone make him a giant and then give him features that may remind you of billy bob thornton's sling blade <laughs> all right anyway he's huge the max is scared he takes off running uh, and this thing keeps trying to hit him with a hammer this large club sledgehammer thing the max just continues to try and get away some it, when you look at these pages uh, the panel layout is so interesting the way that we use a lot of white and that is important because as we progress through the issue as max is running away through this bright beautiful plains land he finds this large structure as this giant is chasing him and he climbs into it and it's everything is weird he finds this thing that apparently is a house it's got a bunch of boards on the front of it he breaks in inside is the she devil as he <laughs> calls her he breaks in and this is where we first meet julie now when he breaks into this house she starts stabbing him with what looks to be like a almost looks like a corn dog <laughs> uh, but she's stabbing him over and over and he he ends up passing out while she kind of stands over him my last vision is her terrible smile as she toys with my wounds and she of course is in this skimpy jungle bikini and then things shift and we see that julie is actually 
in her apartment and she's had to sedate the Max. So all of this, we're assuming that we just read happened in the Max's head. It's funny because not a single name is given here. You know, at no point does the Max refer to himself as the Max. I mean, the only reason you're thinking that this is the Max is because it's the name of the comic. Who knows what his name actually is? You don't get Julie's name either. But anyway, so we, yeah, we switch to what apparently is reality. And Julius standing over the Max who is laid out on her coffee table. He apparently had broke into her, through her window. We learn that she's kind of decided to try and take care of this guy. She's, he always comes back here all wasted and I've got to clean him up and sedate him. So here's what I was wanting to point out earlier. He's sure ain't grateful or screaming out my windows about God clans and peppermint. So again... We're to assume the Max is... He's acting out what's in his head, actually, in reality as well. Julie is kind of taking care of him. Julie is something else. She's not the perfect lady. She's a little dumpy, but she's got a figure on her. And the bell-bottom jeans. The bell-bottom jeans. I mean, come on. So, yeah, that's kind of where we end it. We get a great splash page. The signature Sam Keith... Well, <laughs> signature. The signature Sam Keith signature at the bottom there. Uh, you know, and the, and the Max crouching once again. It's it's funny because Julie's kind of excited, like maybe he's a young blood. <laughs> again, we're setting it up for this to be all one contained universe, the image universe. You'll notice that Max's teeth change. At one point, his teeth may be square. Uh, and then at another point, teeth may come off as angled in some way. It's... All these things are building mystery around this character. So, yeah, I mean, I dig the Max. And I think a lot of it is because I don't know anything about the Max. This is one of those characters where you're like, you just want it to be what it is. We don't need an explanation because once you start getting into explanations, things get dicey. Some, can, some things can just be as they are. And I've always wanted the Max to be that way. Uh, at some point, you know, I might have to read more than the first four or five, six issues of Max. I know there's a lot out there. Plus, there was the TV series, which I've never seen. And for a character that I loved, I mean, I really did like the Max. I just never bought the issues and I never followed up with the character. And I, there might be a reason for that. It might be, like I said, I don't want to know more about the character. And I'm afraid there might be something else about the character that I learn that makes me go, oh, man, you know, I, I wanted this to remain a mystery. And I do know some of the fun things that happen in the Max series. We get our villain, Mr. Gone. We get the is. Look at that splash page. Beautiful. All those <laughs> needs to clean up his costume. There you go. Next up, Blood Wolf. Now it's time for Blood Wolf. So this is a Rob Liefeld joint. Rob Liefeld on the story and art. Steve Olaf and Byron Tallman on colors. And Kurt Hathaway on the letters. So real quick about Blood Wolf before we get into this. I can remember Blood Wolf appearing in this comic. Me being like, oh wow, that's a neat character. I'll keep my eye open. And then the character seemed to like drop off the face of the earth. But the advantage of the internet in today's day and age... Was able to go to the imagecomics.fandom.com in order to check out to see what issues Blood Wolf has appeared. And surprisingly, he has nine appearances as Blood Wolf. There was a Blood Wolf series, which Blood Wolf's own series showed up in 1995. So he shows up for a cameo appearance in volume one of Young Blood number nine in 1994. And what you learn is that Blood Wolf was a parody of Lobo. 
What's funny is, is that I didn't know much about Lobo back in the 90s. So Blood Wolf showing up in Darker Image was novel to me. I didn't realize that this was a character that was poking fun. So let's see what Liefeld has in store for us here in this very first story of Blood Wolf. Okay, so we open up the story with Blood Wolf on his bike, which looks very much like a pistol. <laughs> looks kind of strange. Heading to Praxin 9 to confront a director butts while two of the emperor's sons insulted his grandma blood wolf's grandma so he's mad about it he is upset uh, blood wolf is an interesting character so let's try uh, you know i did my due diligence in describing what the max look like let me explain to you what blood wolf looks like blood wolf's hair goes straight up almost like vegeta style from dragon ball z uh so it's almost like it goes straight up to a point i mean he looks for all intents and purposes, human, except for he has almost like red war paint on his face. Now, as to whether that's actually his skin color or if it's makeup, we don't know. But he looks big, bulky, huge muscular guy wearing a, a military vest of some sort, and that looks to be about it. No, he's got a shirt underneath there. So a military vest, of course, pouches for days. Pouches, pouches, pouches. He's got pouches around his thigh and of course the rippling veins in his arm classic classic rob liefeld design so he lands his bike at this place in praxin nine says he passes himself off as the courier and there's two panels on the second page of this after he lands he's walking through the space station or wherever he's at praxin nine and he passes by what looks to be lobo walking the other way I mean, you can't get more on the nose than that. <laughs> Lobo's walking the other way, and they, they do two panels of that, too, which is funny, because it's almost like the exact same... Well, I don't even know if that... Maybe there's two people that look like Lobo walking past them. I don't know. Wasn't aware enough of who Lobo was to probably have caught this. But this is one of the things that I loved that image could do. They would reference other characters in either DC or Marvel, not by name, but they definitely w would draw them or aspects of them to give them a nod. And that's going to happen here later in this story a second time. So we've got a DC character that just kind of showed up here, Lobo, who's just walking past. He's, he's just, you know, another guy walking past Blood Wolf. So Blood Wolf shows up trying to get in to see Director Butts. And Director Butts is sitting in his chair. Blood Wolf walks in, pulls his gun, and says, Good night, Seymour. Get it? See more butts? Oh, that's perfect. I think I just taught my kid. He had said something, you know, play on words like this. And I said, have you ever read Under the Bleachers by Seymour Butts? And boy, did he get this big smile on his face. Passing down the goods. So, okay, Blood Wolf pulls his gun, points at director Butts, shoots him. Here's another thing that set Image Comics apart for me. You know, just think, little old Jesse Starcher sitting there reading his Marvel and his DC, and he, 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 you know, he gets his action, he gets his suspense. We'll say PG to PG-13 is what we're getting in, in Marvel and DC at this point in time. Then I have Darker Image here, where Blood Wolf pulls this pistol, shoots Director Butts, and even the Director has pockets. Jeez Louise. The force of this bullet hits his head, that it rips his head clean from his body, and... There's a couple ways that you could draw this, but it's over-the-top gore that has me going, oh yeah, this company's different. 
This has got my attention. The bullet hits Director Butts, sending his head clean off of his body. And the panel that we get is Director Butts's Director Butts's the director's head coming detached from his body. An eyeball falling out of his head as it flies backwards. Oh, yes, please. 14-year-old me is looking at this and going, wow, I want more. Okay, Blood Wolf shoots the guy. Now he's got to get out of the, got to get off this facility. Now, it's interesting because <laughs> Liefeld uses these arrows to point towards things. Like, you see arrows actually throughout this story. There's an arrow in space on the second panel pointing him towards Praxon 9. There's an arrow as he's walking down the hallway pointing to which way Blood Wolf is going. There's an arrow that is pointing to the gun that says, oh crap. There's an arrow that points to a little package sitting on the director's desk that Blood Wolf left. That's obviously going to come back at some point, right? Because that's important. You wouldn't have an arrow pointing to it. So Blood Wolf is making his way out of there. Lo and behold, Cable, apparently either a member or even possibly leader of the security force here on Praxon 9. Okay, now when we talk about Cable... Uh, is this just kind of like an homage to Cable? No, this is straight up. This is Cable. He ha- even has, okay, imagine 90s Cable that Liefeld drew. He's got the flashing eye. He's got the scar over the other eye. He's got the X badge. It is the X badge, except they took one line from the X and it looks like a Y. So to see him showing up here in the Blood Wolf comic, holy cow. I was like, oh yeah, there's no limits for these guys. We just had a head fly off the previous page. Now I've got Cable showing up here, and the the astute comic reader would have recognized Lobo. But yeah, here we have Cable, who's trying to track down Blood Wolf before he can escape. Blood Wolf is making his way through the corridors with the security force chasing him. He turns a corner, uh, and he's got these, I don't know, six? Yeah, it looks like six security guys all pointing guns at him, so he's trapped. Until, it's more than six, until he just decides, all right, I'm going to kill everybody. So he grabs his two pistols and starts laying out everybody. Makes his way to his bike. Now, this is where things go off the rails. I mean, look, I know Goofy. Things can kind of get silly. Nowadays, I understand Lobo can get kind of silly. I've read a few Lobo comics. Uh, Blood Wolf makes his way to his bike. Now, I thought, okay, he's going to just be able to get on his bike and fly out of there somehow. Remember me telling you that his bike looked like a pistol. Blood Wolf gets behind his bike, proceeds to pick it up by its handle like a pistol and shoot it at the security force. It incinerates every bit of them and there are three panels where okay we just have the skeletons of the dead security crew blood wolf who has this large pistol in his hands pistol bike looks at the reader smiles and laughs gets on his bike and leaves and there we have another arrow pointing to the package that was left on the director's desk big trouble it says and as blood wolf escapes with a maniacal smile on his face. Praxon 9 explodes. Blood Wolf laughs uncontrollably as he escapes. And that is the end of our Blood Wolf story here within Darker Image. Crazy story. Again, fantastic art. Shout out to Steve Olaf, Byron Tallman. Again, colors were just spectacular on this comic book. But yeah, Blood Wolf as a character, I was interested but again, he didn't show up. I felt like this was a character that should have been used a lot more than he ever was. But this kind of brings me to my impression of Liefeld. Even back then, 
He always seemed to me like he had so many things going. He just couldn't keep track of them all. I don't know if that's a true story. And I understand money talks. So maybe a project gets started and you want to go somewhere else. But my goodness, there were so many things where I was like, oh, yeah, you know, let's get this started. And then four or five issues later, it's done. Blood Wolf shows up in this story. Gone. You know, there were too many projects that just seemed to be he wanted to do and then just became unwieldy. The other side of that, you had Eric Larson. Eric Larson was very committed to the projects that he seemed to have. Specifically, I mean, he was committed to Savage Dragon. He's still committed to this day to Savage Dragon. That is somebody that had a plan and wanted to execute it, did not have any other distractions. Now, Freak Force came about, Vanguard came about. It was more like, hey, you know, here's the guy I want to do. This is the one project that I definitely want to keep doing. Maybe a couple other things may happen, but this is where a handful of projects compared to, or buckets full of projects. It's going to work out better. You know, hey, there's this ad. Oh, man, the excitement, okay? Now, I was aware of the Valiant Universe. I think I remember reading, you know, again, Wizards, I remember reading about Unity. I wasn't buying a whole lot of Valiant early on. As the word got around about the universe, I started to pick up some things. Ninjack, I remember picking up, you know, Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior. Why am I bringing up the Valiant Universe? There is an ad for a Youngblood Bloodshot crossover. Now, you may have seen this ad. It's got Die Hard, Shaft, and Bad Rock slash Bedrock on the front of the page, standing, drawn by Liefeld, standing with Bloodshot. Now, Bloodshot was such a cool character. What a great look. And Liefeld drawing him? Oh, man. This blood's for you. Young Blood Bloodshot. This was exciting. I remember seeing this ad going, oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. So we're going to have a crossover. We're going to have a company crossover for, for Valiant and Image? I am so down. Well, they had it touted for July of 93. Anybody that knows anything about Deathmate Red, <sighs> Deathmate Red ends up getting delayed months and months and ends up finally releasing November of 93. This ad for Young Blood Bloodshot, I mean, again, just count me in. Count me in. So, all right, let's finish that up and we will get to Deathblow. All right, let's get ourselves nestled in for our final story here in darker image number one and that is death blow brandon Choi and jim lee are credited as co-creators and for the story here in death blow jim lee also credited for the art colors by joe chiodo mike heisler on letters and wendy fouts on color assists so this is the first appearance of death blow uh, the first issue of Deathblow, Deathblow number one, actually dropped May 18th, 1993, so a couple months after Darker Image hit shelves. I'm going to go through the comic, but let's just say there's not a whole lot here. There really isn't. I mean, the art is, it's actually kind of like a real quick, it's different Jim Lee, that's for sure. Jim Lee, I'm used to bombastic colors like in Wildcats or his X-Men, and this, it's very muted. Uh, our colors are almost gray tones there's some splashes of color which are great no colors are used we'll just say sparingly very bland sort of of course it takes place at night in a jungle uh, that is lit by the full moon so you're gonna have a lot of shadows but uh, let's go ahead we'll start reading this here and there are a lot 
lot, a lot, a lot of words. This is definitely a change. We're changing gears. So here we have Deathblow, and our narrator is talking about how he hates the jungle. And he's come back to the jungle. Looks like, uh, okay, so this is Deathblow on some kind of a boat heading down the river in the jungle. And he's getting his war paint on. So here's, here's a perfect example of when colors are being used. Uh, like I said, most of this is just kind of black, white, gray. And then you see the signature red line that goes down from the top of his forehead into his eye. So this red paint is getting put on and he's, he's getting ready to mix it up with somebody. A lot of description about how the jungle is so hot, humid, it puts you in the setting. Interesting art choices here. Like we have the boat that's going down the river, which you hardly see any features of the boat other than just a white outline of it. And our guide at the front, I believe. Nope. Okay, so our guide went down and checked on Deathblow, who is now in full armament. And he shoots the pilot of the boat. Well, now we're in Washington, D.C. Again, colors are still kind of muted. Oh, here's Director Lynch. John Lynch. Oh, recruited to lead Team 7 at one point, which included, as we find out in this book, SEAL Team 7 included Michael Cray. That's Deathblow. All right, so yeah, big bit of history here for John Lynch. The setup here is that he's worked with Deathblow in the past. Oh, we find out that Cray is a rogue now, and he's off to go find General Manuel Ortega. Looks to assassinate him. Oh, Michael Cray has been diagnosed with cancer, inoperable brain tumor. Oh, so Lynch is sending out some people, a team to take out Michael Cray, terminate him on sight with extreme prejudice. Oh my gosh, wow, are there a lot of words. When you go from Blood Wolf and the Max to this, whew. So our, well, the leader of the team that's heading out to try and find Michael Cray is kind of wondering what he's getting himself into, plus he kind of feels bad that he's been tasked with taking him out because he's served with him in the past thought he was a hero we're setting up the team here hopper a green beret packing hardware he's never seen before fords marine recon he's our jungle warfare specialist knows costa mesa like the back of his hand and blackbird a ranger rumor has it there's nothing on this planet he can't track it almost seems unfair all of us against one dying man but then i remind myself who we're dealing with again muted colors now we do kind of change the color palette here a little bit while the team that's going after craze flying through the air it's we got more there's some green oh this is interesting so we're back at washington dc and lynch is either getting debriefed or giving a debrief something like that he's he, there's a report of a finhead in chicago making the national news savage dragon also confirmed reports of an unregistered superpower being trashing a biker gang in New York. Now that feels like pit, but I could be wrong. Again, setting up that universe, the image universe. Okay, what an ending. Not a whole lot of action. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of action in Blood Wolf. Max got me kind of excited just because of the mystery and the unique look of what we had. Plus it was a very vibrant type of feel, but this story ends on two guys just talking about how they've got to stop Cray from killing this guy because the government wants the matter resolved with credible deniability. So uh, a very dense nine pages, I think, is what they said it was. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Deathblow looks pretty darn cool, but 
there is not a whole lot of action that happens in here. Very story driven, you know, steeped in military politics. But all in all, it's just kind of the, a setup to where, okay, things are going to go down. But it ends at to be continued. Out of the three, Death Blow is the least favorite for me. Uh, this Death Blow story, I found out doing a little bit of research, it concludes in Death Blow Volume 1, Number Zero. Also, one of the things that I found was that this was meant to be a four-issue series. Darker Image was supposed to be a four-issue series featuring gritty characters. Now, I'm taking this straight from the imagefandom.com. So a four-issue series of this would have been neat, actually, to get some of these stories to continue would have been pretty cool. But I did also a quick search on Twitter today and just typed in Darker Image and Liefeld. See what I came up with. There was a jam piece. I don't know if it was going to be on the cover of the next issue or what specifically, how it was going to be related to Darker Image. But Liefeld pretty much said this. it was a Darker Image jam illustration from his Instagram. Darker Image Jam illustration from 1993. Okay, so this illustration had the Max, Death Blow, and Blood Wolf, so all three characters from what we see here in this comic, but it also had Pit in the Jam piece. So were they planning on putting Pit, uh, a story, a Pit story in, like, future issues, or was Pit making an appearance? He's obviously mentioned here in the death blow story so interesting so there you go uh you know as for me i kind of covered at the beginning how important this book was to me and how you know it it does does chalk up some nostalgia reading it again uh, there's some iconic things that stick out to me specifically the max story i think i've read that story maybe four or five times the blood wolf thing entertaining gory there's the moments where you recognize some of these characters from other companies and the death blow story was just heh. with the death blow story if it was a movie like after the end of this the intro credits would have rolled for the movie it was like the beginning which is fine the goal of this comic is to get you excited about what's possibly out there and what's to come what what are you interested in check this out because we we may have we're going to have an upcoming series on it i hate the fact that it was only one issue there was a darker image too that was penciled not colored and never printed. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, this has been Source Material's contribution to the Superblog team-up. Listen, if you get a chance, just go on Twitter, type in hashtag SBTU. I'll actually put the hashtag in whatever way I'm promoting this. You can click on it. Most likely, it'll take you to just about anything that the Superblog team-up is putting out there to honor the 30-year anniversary of image comics you can also look up hashtag super blog team up i want to just real quick give a special shout out to chris bailey for organizing this and gave me the opportunity to get on here and talk about one of my favorite things which is image comics in our archive you can probably find source materials coverage of spawn number one coverage of savage dragon number one uh, these were years ago Stormwatch number one my goal at one time was just to do the image firsts first issue of a series and talk about it i got like i said got about three issues uh, three issues in and then of course we uh got distracted and started doing some other things but anyway i want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen make sure to get out there and support the rest of those bloggers and podcasters participating in the super blog team up we'll talk to you soon have a good one bye-bye 
Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattlich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.